Was it kind of therapeutic? It didn't feel like therapy at all. <laughs> it felt like getting hit with a billion hammers at all times. From KUER and PRX, this is Preach. I'm Lee Hale. This week, I'm talking with Hideo Higashibaba. For the last few years, Hideo's mined his own life story for a podcast called Growing Up Mooney. Here's a taste of the show. Moonies. So-called Moonies, followers of the Reverend Sun Young Moon, head of the Unification Church, who became well-known in the early 80s. The show blends the history of the Unification Church and interviews with millennials like Hideo who were born into it. The church was started in the 1950s by Reverend Sun Young Moon, and that's how the members got their nickname Moonies. They were followers of Reverend Moon. Moon had significant financial holdings that were intertwined with conservative politics in America. He had a hand in everything from commercial fishing to the Washington Times newspaper. Just by reading the New York Times obit of Moon, he died in 2012, you can see what a controversial figure he was. Moon was convicted of tax fraud. There were rumors he had sexual relationships with his followers. And he was a self-proclaimed messiah. Moon wrote new scripture and demanded strict obedience and dedication from his followers. The church made headlines in the 80s by holding mass weddings, where thousands of couples gathered for arranged marriages. Hideo's parents got married in one of those ceremonies in Madison Square Garden in 1982. You can see it on YouTube. Do you pledge to observe heavenly law as an original man and woman? And should you fail, would you pledge to take responsibility for that? That arranged marriage led to what Hideo considers an incredibly toxic and abusive home. And Hideo is queer and trans, and that was really not okay according to the rules of his faith. After listening to Growing Up Mooney, I wanted to talk to Hideo more about his experience and the stories he shared from others in the community he was raised in. But to start, I needed to understand some things about the Unification Church better. Can I say Mooney? Like, is it okay to say the word Mooney? <laughs> yeah, I think it's fine to say Mooney. I definitely growing up, I was not allowed to say it. It was like a very derogatory term for people in the Unification Church. But it doesn't bother me. And I'm not sure if I'm a good person to ask <laughs> that question. <laughs> I use Mooney and I have no problem with other people using it. Of course, it started as a term that reporters were using to talk about people who were in the Unification Church in the 70s because Reverend Moon and then they were Moonies, you right, know. Right, right. It was not like positive coverage at all. And so people in the church really took offense to it. Okay. And I should preface everything I'm saying right now with the fact that Moonies now are very, very different than the Moonies I grew up with. I see. When Moon died in 2012, the church kind of fell apart. Reverend Moon. Sun Young Moon, is that his full name? Mm-hmm. So was he Jesus reincarnated, basically, like a Messiah figure? So, yeah, he wasn't a Messiah figure. Like, for Moonies, he was the Messiah. Wait, so when you say he is the Messiah, meaning he's the most important person to ever come to Earth. So the story goes that when Moon was 16 years old, on an Easter morning, he went up to the mountains to pray. And Jesus came down, you know, from heaven to talk to him and said that, you are the person I have chosen to pass on my message, to, to continue my work on earth. That's the story. And so from then on, it's not like Jesus is reincarnated into 
a random Korean man, but that Jesus has sort of chosen heir and the heir would be Reverend Moon. Who did you end up talking about more growing up in the church, Moon or Jesus? Oh, Moon, for sure. Gotcha. Jesus definitely factored into it, but this is what made us very controversial and disliked by other Christians, actually, is that Jesus is sort of thought about as somebody who was definitely the son of God, this really, really, really important person and someone who sort of failed to complete his mission on earth. Wow. Yeah, which is like a really intense statement to say to Christians who Jesus is the center of their faith. Yeah. I mean, I grew up bowing to his picture. We talked about him all the time. The stories of his childhood growing up were sort of fables that were passed down to us as examples of how we should act as children. And it was only after I left the church that it occurred to me that like, I have no idea if any of this is actually true. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And when you were growing up, what about him for you inspired dedication and commitment? I think something that was important for me to bring across in growing up, Mooney, is that this was never a choice for me. Hmm. And it's not for a lot of kids who grow up in the church. I never joined the church, right? I was born into it. But my devotion came from my devotion for my mother. I loved my mother. Hmm. I still do. But like... I loved her and she was the smartest, wisest, deepest person I'd ever met. And she was so smart and like everything she said just made so much sense to me, which now that I look back is a not atypical thing for a child to think of their mother and particularly in an environment where one's mother is in control of everything you do. But yeah, no, my devotion came from the fact that my mother seemed the most happy when I was devoted. Hmm. And so I became a very devoted (laughs) Mooney To make her happy. To make her happy, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally get that. So Mooney's followed the Old Testament, the New Testament, and then Moon also wrote new scripture, right? Yeah, he wrote the divine principle in my research for growing up Mooney. The real origin of the principle is actually something that's quite contested. But the pure ideology that I was raised on is, yes, that he wrote this, that Jesus passed all of this down to him, and he wrote it all down. Did it have like scripture-esque language? It sounded like a textbook. That's sort of how they sell it. Also, the original is in Korean. So who knows what the formality is of Korean? You know how they say like the hardest language to study Shakespeare in is English? (laughs) Mm. Because when it's translated into another language, they can sort of use modern French, modern German, modern Greek or Japanese or whatever. Right. So I don't know what the tone of the past ones were, but the classic copy that you get is like a black textbook with gold embossed writing on the front that says the exposition of the divine principle, meaning that the divine principle is something that really has to be lived and only so much of it can be contained in a book. Gotcha. It's sort of like a companion book to the Bible in that it sort of elucidates and annotates the things that happen in the Bible and then sort of tells you what really happened or what really was going on here. I think for people who are very intellectual, it's very satisfying, right? Because all these questions that you have about the Bible, all these things that don't add up are solved Mm. through the divine principle. It just explains everything for you. Like basically everything should connect. Everything should make sense. Like there shouldn't be any loose ends. Exactly. Yeah. Just to be clear, since you're using the word cult, how do you define that word cult? Yeah. So in the podcast and sort of in my life, I use the definition I found in a textbook in college, a social science textbook. So one, it has a charismatic leader. Two, there's insider-outsider identity. Mm -hmm. And three, there's shared ritual. I do think that like cults and cult behavior is far more common than people think. Yeah. But I think that being selective in what we call a cult is important when it comes to talking about trauma and talking about like lived experience. Right. I was raised to believe that 
no one is going to understand you. The outside world doesn't get you. They don't understand how special you are. It's dangerous. Those people are bad. So much of what cults ask of the people in them is secrecy. Don't talk about it. So marriage is super important to Moonies, especially arranged marriage. And the way I understood it from the podcast is that Moon had this idea that basically he could bring about world peace by arranging marriages of people who were different enough that he was basically bridging cultures, for instance, like your parents, Japan and America, your father from Japan, your mother from America. That was a literal like World War II rift. And so in their union that he arranged, that was supposed to bring about a peaceful family and then eventually world peace. Am I understanding that correctly? The whole idea is based on resentment. That if you are resentful towards someone or a group, that resentment doesn't go away. It has to be what's called indemnified. Mm. So the person who has caused harm has to repay that in some way or another. So yes, the idea was that if two people from opposite cultures who have a history of resentment, of violence or harm, if they come together, then it would be impossible for the families to hate the children. Mm. So I am of the union of a Japanese and American, and therefore my grandparents might forgive the Japanese for what they have done. But obviously in reality, it doesn't work. And not only was Moon like arranging people in marriages, but there were these mass weddings, right? Like thousands of people would get married in one big group. I think your parents were married in Madison Square Garden, right? Yeah, my parents were married in Madison Square Garden, every girl's dream. <laughs> with like 274 other couples. And so you're, as a second generation, you're kind of known for which blessing your parents came from. So you'd be like, oh, my parents were blessed in 98, like 370 couples, or I think they got up to like 25,000 at one point because they started doing like telecommute. So like he'd hold a big mass wedding in Korea and then they'd have like a live satellite feed to New York where there'd be like another several thousand. And blessing is the word for wedding. Right. Yes. Blessing is the word for marriage. I'm blessed means I'm married. Mormons call them sealings. So when you're married in the Mormon temple, you're sealed. And that is much more important than the legal marriage, kind of in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds very familiar. So as I understand it, if you are married to somebody within the faith, then the children you have are considered blessed children or BCs. And they are born into this world without original sin. So like they're super duper special, like spiritually clean, and you are a blessed child. Yeah, I guess I am still. I think I've had like way too much sex outside of marriage to really qualify as one anymore. (laughs) But um, yeah, technically, I guess I am. For me, it just got to a point where I could not be myself and be a Mooney. There is no shred of Mooney doctrine that justifies my existence at this point. Like, Moonies don't believe that trans people exist, that queer people exist, that familial trauma is something worth solving or healing. Coming up, more with Hideo on what it was like growing up in the Unification Church. Hey, it's Lee. If you're looking for a new podcast, check out Sick from WFYI and Side Effects Public Media in Indianapolis. In the 1970s and 80s, dozens of women went to a fertility clinic hoping to get pregnant. Decades later, their children uncovered the doctor's terrible secret. 
Reporters Lauren Bavis and Jake Harper take a hard look at the fertility industry, a doctor's abuse of power, and the lives he affected. Find Sick wherever you get your podcasts and find more info at sickpodcast.org. Hideo's Growing Up Mooney podcast tells his story, but it's also fascinating because he calls up other blessed children, people who grew up in the church with him. And every perspective is different, like Katie, who he interviews in episode six. At the time of this interview, she had just gotten married or blessed to another member of the Unification Church. And you may notice that Hideo's voice sounds a little different in these clips. That's because he did some of these interviews years ago. Are you in love with him? I am so in love with him. I am head over heels in love with him, and I have been from the beginning. I mean, did you yeah. did you expect that for yourself when you thought about this when you were younger? No, I didn't. Not at all. For me, it was just like a duty. Like, I had to do it because my parents wanted me to do it. And um, I did it because it's, like, it's something I've been saving up for my whole life. And it's just a bonus that I fell in love with him. And then there's Jen in episode two, who I relate to a lot. Jen's relationship with the Unification Church is messy. So would you consider yourself to be in the church? Like, do you still go to church? No, I don't go to church. Um, I wouldn't say I'm, like, out of it, but I wouldn't say I'm necessarily in, if that—I don't know. Honestly, I would love to be married to a blessed child, I think. Not one that's, like, crazy about the church or anything <laughs> like that, but just cause, because they have that experience, and mm-hmm. they, it's very relatable. Like, this is a hard— childhood or anything and I think it is a huge part of us of how we grew up um it's hard to explain and it's really hard to relate to listening to this podcast kind of feels like eavesdropping on old friends who haven't seen each other for years but also these conversations get challenging too Hideo has chosen to leave his faith behind at this point it just brings some pain which made me wonder why did he put himself through all of this why willingly rehash this painful past It wasn't really a rational choice. Hmm. I obviously was really, really struggling in the years after I left, including now, but less now. (laughs) It's less intense now. It was sort of one of those things where like this story needed to be told. And it was almost like outside of me, right? Like the story was asking to be told. And it was like, this story is going to haunt me until I tell it. I mean, that's why it took two and a half years to make, right? Because it was so difficult to do. Like I had dozens of panic attacks and I would just write for 10 minutes and then I'd be like, I'm never doing this again. And I'd walk away from my computer. But then I'd always come back, right? I would always come back. And in the hardest moments of it, I was like, I told myself, you don't have to do this. But the story just kept asking to be told. And then through the process, once I finished it, I realized that through the process of telling the story, I changed as a person in a way that allowed me to grow past all my anger and grow like bigger than all the terrible things that have happened to me. Hmm. But another part of it was, am I the only person who feels this way? Am I the only person who feels like I was not prepared for adulthood, who feels kind of betrayed and angry by everything that's happened? I wanted some validation from other people. Like this thing is happening and it happened to both of us. 
And in some ways I got that. And in a lot of other ways I didn't. And weirdly, this podcast in some ways made me feel even more alone. Hmm. Did it just make you feel more alone because you realized that you are truly unique, like no one had walked that path? It made me feel more alone because I didn't really know any trans or queer people who had been in the church who had to completely walk away from everything. Like everyone I talked to had a connection to their parents still or their siblings or the people who had known them for a little while. I don't have any friends right now who have known me for longer than six years. Hmm. And so I think what made me feel even more lonely is that like these people didn't really understand what it felt like to lose everything, even though they did struggle with these like real awful things that happened to them, right? And like these moments of doubt and abuse and terror that I experienced. What surprised you most from having these conversations? I think I was surprised about how open people were. I know how hard these conversations are and I know how hard they were for me. And so I'm really grateful for the openness and the just honesty of the people I talked to. Not the interviews themselves, but the project itself. I What surprised me was how much it changed me as a person. <laughs> Art changes you. Who knew? I had no expectation that this would make me feel better, but it did. And that surprised me. What are the biggest changes you went through in making this? When I was writing the episode, The Mythology of Sun Myung Moon, and as a storyteller, I knew that the best part of this story would be to take his perspective, to take Sun Myung Moon's perspective. Like, what was he thinking when all this happened? And my whole being was like, no, absolutely not. I refuse to empathize mm. with this awful human being. <laughs> I closed my computer and I walked away. That was one of those times where I just walked away. And then I sat down and I was like, okay, just for the sake of the story, let's imagine what he might have thought. And it opened this a capacity for empathy that I didn't really know that I had. I'm able to empathize and see things from other people's perspective, even if you don't like them, even if you disagree with them, is a really valuable skill. And I think that was like the biggest change for me. Wow. Like if I can empathize with Reverend Moon, who I can pinpoint as the person who both created and ruined my life, hmm. then maybe I can do it with other people too, you know? <laughs> yeah, because you talk about how you and Moon are weirdly connected for life because... It was his decision to put your parents together. The odd connection you have. The church only started in the 50s. It's a very young church. And so in that way, with your parents' generation, everyone was converts, right? They must have both joined on their own, or did your parents' families join? Like, how did they find the church? My parents were both converts. My dad joined in Japan after high school, and my mom joined in Vermont after college. What drew her to this church? I mean, I think I was very open in the podcast about my extended family, my mom's family, and how unsupportive they were of my mother as a person in the church. And then her children, me and my sisters, they would really berate us and make fun of us and mock us for believing this like crazy religion, which as a child was really traumatic. And so my sense is growing up in that family that my grandparents have never been very supportive of my mother. And so I can sort of put the pieces together. This sort of pushes back on the research I've done around like who joins cults and what draws people to cults. And from what I've learned, you don't have to you know have a traumatic childhood or feel lost or anything to have joined a cult. It's sort of outside of those bounds. And yet, <laughs> I really see in both of my parents how feeling lost or feeling like they don't belong could have pulled them in. 
I think a lot of times religious parents, the warnings they give to us end up being entirely true. Like, for instance, with Moonies and with Mormons, like you marry within your faith, you keep friendships within your faith. It's important to you know be careful about where you go to school or, or who you keep company with. The worry is that your faith will be challenged and potentially changed by what you're exposed to. And it sounds like for you that when you went off to college, that's really when you had a chance to examine your faith in a new way. Yeah. When my mom said that, the impression that I got from her and from other people who would say things like that was that it's actually okay for your faith to be challenged. Hmm. It's good. Like it's Satan challenging your faith and you are being put to the test, right? Jesus was tested. Adam and Eve were tested. Tests are good, but you cannot not pass this test. You cannot fail. That turns out to be that I only want to go into situations where I know I won't fail, right. which does mean avoiding others. Sounds like you kind of had a falling out with Christianity entirely. Finding out about my mother's sexual assault in her teen years is what broke me. Hmm. And so I think my brain was already like on the verge of some kind of breakdown. But then finding out that my mother had been raped when she was 16, I think that broke me. Did it just not make sense to you how God would allow that to happen or even orchestrate it or just be a part of it? Yeah. Like if God loved my mother, which I was led to believe and God loved all his children, then how could he have let that happen in the first place? Right. Which is, I think is a classic reason why a lot of people <laughs> struggle with their faith. Right. Did you lose your faith in the church you were raised up in and God at the same time? Yeah, I did. It was just like, it was just gone, like overnight. I just couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. Where does it leave you now, spiritually speaking? I don't believe in God. I know that there's many names for God and there are many kinds of God, but I cannot uh, separate the word God from the God that abused me my whole life, mm. you know? But there's an entire world that's happening all around us that we can't see, that we are using language to understand, right? Like science is a language to understand how the world works and what we are able to experience. But I think that the world is bigger than that. So I do believe in my soul, right? I believe everybody has a soul. I don't really know what happens to us in the afterlife. It doesn't really matter to me anymore. And now I'm just curious what the reaction has been to your podcast. You put your story out there, very vulnerable story been really positive. I get like four emails a month. Usually they're from other Moonies, ex-Moonies, current Moonies, friends of Moonies, ex-girlfriends and ex-boyfriends and stuff who are really grateful that this work is out. And obviously the ones from like trans and queer folk who grew up in the church really mean a lot to me as I am queer and trans. There's a whole community of ex-Moonie young people like around my age that I didn't even know existed. So now I'm in a Facebook group. I don't really like talking about stuff like over and over again. So I don't really interact with them that much, but I know they exist and that's important to me. You know, we talked about where your spirituality is now and I'm just curious, like more generally speaking, what do you have faith in these days? What do you put faith in? I have like a lot of faith in the survival of black and brown and queer and trans community. If I look at the history, if you look at like all of the things that have happened to these communities over the 600 years plus of colonialism, 
then you know that like we will always survive. And that is something that really kind of bowies me in this time of a lot of terror and angst. (laughs) I do believe in ancestors still, but I don't think about ancestors as like a blood lineage thing. Although of course I feel the presence of my grandma, my Japanese grandma often, but I don't put too much stock in bloodline, right? So I think all the people who have fought and died for trans folks, so I could like walk out of my door and not be immediately arrested. That's what I put my faith in now, because the proof is there. Thanks for listening to Preach. You should definitely listen to all of the Growing Up Mooney podcasts. It's available wherever you're listening to this podcast. This show is a production of KUER and PRX. If you'd like weekly musings from me, we have a newsletter. Find the sign-up link at preachpod.org. We're also on Twitter, at preachpod. This show is produced by me, Lee Hale, along with Trisha Bobita and Roddy Nickpour. Our digital producer is Chelsea Naughton, and our executive producer is Joel Meyer. Preach is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. And if you love the show, please spread the word. Tell a friend, cousin, coworker, neighbor, someone that you just met at the post office, help share Preach. It also really helps us out if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, like D.B. Kois. I don't know how to pronounce it, but they said, what an interesting and wonderful podcast. In an effort to not sound so Mormon, it soothes my soul. Listen here to learn more about the different religions without any bashing or ugliness. I'm loving the perspectives everyone is sharing on their religions because let's be real, nothing is perfect. Amen to that. And thank you for listening. I'm Lee Hale. This is the board op, Roddy. I've been thinking this whole time, has anyone ever thought of or said the phrase, Moody's never say die? Like Goonies never say die? Oh. <laughs> Does that ever come it's up? It's never come up. <laughs> Um, but I don't... That's the sequel to the podcast. I die.